Good morning. How's everyone doing? Good. It's like, it's, it's some essence, you know, September, like the end of September, it feels a little bit like, like a New Year day, right? You got like college football back, school is back, just a lot of good things happening, and church stuff is going to start ramping up. So uh, just a lot of excitement happening, some different things going on. And so if we haven't met yet, my name is Johnny, one of the pastors here. And so uh, we start off with some worship. We're going to do some teaching time. And uh, don't worry uh, if you're like, man, that worship was like really short. Uh, don't worry, we're going to do, do some more worship after our teaching time and end with a ministry time. And so um, typically what we do is we teach in series. And so we're starting a new series uh, this morning called We Are Vineyard. Now, some of you are like, wait, Johnny, we've done this before, right? We've, last year we did a We Are Vineyard series. Is this like a rerun? You guys remember reruns? Like, you know, when the office was always on reruns and different things, like, um, don't worry, this is not a rerun, all right? This is just an opportunity. Uh, as a church, we do this, we're just probably an annual thing where we come together and we kind of go like, okay, who are we as a church? What are we all about? And it's uh, hopefully for some of us, uh, if you this, consider this your church home, you've been here a while, it's like, yes, this is why I'm here. Um, and then uh, for some of you who are newer, you know, it gives you an opportunity like, are they a little crazy? Uh, do they bring out snakes? Um, you know, do they have punch? Uh, anyway, so it just gives you an idea, is this a place you want to call home? And so uh, just we talk about our values, we talk about what we're all about. And also, like I mentioned, it is an opportunity for us in the church world, we see September kind of as the beginning of a new uh, church season, per se, and we uh, will use this opportunity to kind of cast some vision of, okay, what does the next 12 months look like in the life of our church. And so um, last year we kind of focused on our connection to Vineyard USA. We're part of uh, other Vineyard churches across, across the country and across the world. Talked about our connection with Vineyard USA. We also shared about our values and distinctives. And if, you're, if you want to find some of those out, you can just go to weare.lancastervineyard.org. Uh, but this year we're going to focus these next three weeks on just discipleship. What does it mean to be a disciple and follower of Jesus, because we spent the last six weeks talking about evangelism and what does it mean to introduce people to Jesus and being on mission with Jesus, but what are we leading them towards? Does that make sense? Is it more than just saying a prayer or that sort of thing? What does it mean to then, if they do come to faith, what does it mean to, to disciple them? And, and, and that should be the church's mission, right? We've, all the different churches should have one mission, and that's the mission Jesus gives us is what? To go and make disciples. And so as a church, what does that look like for us? What does it mean to be on mission, to fulfill Jesus's mission to make disciples? And so I'm going to start off with a prayer and then a scripture reading. So will you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you uh, just to come and come to this, this point of gathering together as a people. Hopefully it's just more than attending something that this is what we call a being a restorative family, that we're come to, to, to know and be connected to one another, that this discipleship thing, this following you, Jesus, is not a solo adventure, that we come together uh, to, to do life with you and with others. And so we pray we would make much of you, Jesus. So I, my prayer is that we would get a vision of what you are inviting us into, and we would say yes to that. And Lord, I just even pray for our kids and our teens and our junior hires, just sense to pray for them specifically right now this morning. Uh, it's a new school year. There's a lot of social things that happen in new school year with new, new classrooms, new kids. And Jesus, I pray a protection over our kids and teens. But Lord, I pray um, 
like just in this adjustment of, of, of that, Lord, would you be near to them and they would experience your love and grace in the midst of that. Pray specifically against, you know, kids and teens experiencing anxiety. The anxiety has just run rampant in our, in, in our teen and our young people's life. Would they experience you as their good shepherd? We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke 6. I'm going to start off with just a, a small little scripture reading, the parable of Jesus, but we're also going to navigate towards Mark chapter 1. So we're in, verse, uh, we're in Luke chapter 6, uh, 39 through 40. This is Jesus. Uh, he's doing a, a series of teachings, and he says this little parable. He says this. It should be on the screen. He says, he also told him a parable, can the blind guide the blind? Won't they, won't they both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. So I'm going to start off with a little, uh, little thing here. Um, how many went on a road trip this summer? Anybody go on a road trip? Anybody? Like two of you? Or three? Oh, here's a handful. All right, yeah. Some of you went on a road trip. Um, so my family, we took a little road trip down to uh, the mountains of North Carolina about a month ago. And I got to say, road trips are a little different with, like, little kids, you know? It's, it's not as fun. Uh, and things are a little bit different now than what I remember my road trips growing up. So, like, now you have to have, like, all the essentials uh, you, there's just specific things you need to do a road trip well with young kids, right? Like the first one is snacks. You just got to have loads and loads of snacks, loads of food. Uh, you got to have uh, your GPS app. You got to have chargers. You got to have your playlist with podcasts, lots of wipes. You need a personal potty, you know, so at any moment you can, you know, like your kids can go to the bathroom. Uh, there's all these things you need uh, now, right, to have a, a successful road trip. I mean, how do you know when the next Chick-fil-A is going to be, right? Uh, like that's just, that's just how we do road trips. Now, if I remember back to my days on road trips, it was like, if you could get a converter from an ashtray and bring your, like not the ashtray, I'm sorry, the, uh, the cigarette lighter. You guys remember those? And uh, like we would take our VCR TV and place it in our Astro van minivan and like watch whatever VHS we had. And, but mainly you just slept, right? I mean, and like you had to use a physical map to figure out where you're going. And I can remember like growing up, like I was like, why? Like if you think about it, like all these people had maps in their car from like every state that you had to travel in. Uh, it was that. It was this idea of map. Now, some of the further back, like, you know, you may need to, like, hay for your horse or something. I don't know. Is that a little too far? All right, sorry. But there was these things, these road trip essentials that you need in order to, to get. Technically, there's really only about three, right? You had to have a destination. You had to know where you're going. Are we going to Myrtle Beach? Are we going to California? Those are two very different road trips, right? So you need a destination. You need a vision of where you're headed. You need a guide. Right? You need something that's going to help you get there, whether it was a map, whether it's Google Maps, whether it's Waze or whatever, whatever you use. We need some sort of guide that's going to help us get there. And finally, right, you need a road. Like Those are the three essential things, vision, guide, and road. And essential, like these are essentials for, ro for a road trip, but these are also the essentials for life, aren't they? The, for life, we need these three things. We need to have vision, a destination of where we're headed. We need to have a guide, 
somebody who's going to help us get to that destination, and we need a way to get there. And so the first thing I want to talk about just your, uh, in, in this series is what is your destination or what's your vision? Because that's pretty important. You know where you want to go in life. And sometimes, I don't know about you, it's so easy to kind of let life just happen to you. That life kind of pushes you in different directions and that determines your destination. But the reality is we get to choose what our destination is. And there is this danger, there's this threat, we will end up where we don't want to end up. There's a quote uh, from a guy named William Irving in his book, A Guide to the Good Life says this, there is a danger that you will mislive. That despite all of your activity, despite all the pleasant diversions you might have enjoyed while alive, you will end up living a bad life. There is, in other words, a danger that when you are on your deathbed, you will look back and realize that you wasted your one chance at living. Instead of spending your life pursuing something genuinely valuable, you squandered it because you allowed yourself to be distracted by the various babbles life has to offer. What he's showing and he's causing this concern is this, there's this idea, this danger of misliving, of arriving at a destination you didn't want to get to at the end of your life. It's becoming someone you weren't meant to be. In the end, there's also this danger of being even really successful at something that in the end doesn't matter. Uh, Francis Chan has this quote, it's, our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. And I think this is a good reminder for me. Uh, you know, again, this is a season. So tonight, uh, I get together with some friends, and it is our annual fantasy football draft. All right? It is a big deal, okay? And, uh, and to the point, all right, there's a slip and slide involved, that's what I'm going to say. And there's just, this is like this big thing. And it's, it's, it's very competitive. You know, we have a group t text that, you know, there's a lot of trash talking. You know, like there's this essence of fantasy football. And, uh, you know, there's been moments in my life where I can get so sucked into fantasy football, right? I'm checking scores. I'm listening to podcasts. I'm doing mock drafts. And it's fantasy football, right? You know, and to brag a little bit, you know, I won it last year, Okay. But you know, no one, you know, no one in a job interview is like, so how many fantasy football championships have you won? You know, like in my obituary, I'm gonna put five-time fantasy football champion Johnny Friesner, right? It's, it's, I could be this most successful at fantasy football, but in the end, it's succeeding at something that doesn't really matter. Now, I'm not saying don't do fantasy football. It's fun, but right? You can see this idea. You can get sucked into something, trying to be successful at something that doesn't really matter. Like, can I, I'm going to press a little bit maybe on some young, of some of our young guys, like video games, right? Like, in a job interview, they're not going to ask you how many kills you had, right? I'm not saying video games are bad, right? But you can devote a lot of your time or how many uh, hours you watched of YouTube. Or there's this idea, this threat. You can, you can let your life be successful at something that in the end it doesn't matter. So we have to have the right vision. And so we go back to this parable. This is this idea of the, the importance of God's paths and the end result. So again, Jesus says, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like 
his teacher. And so uh, this is just a statement about discipleship. It's not a statement about uh, even disciple of him. It's a statement that is regards to discipleship. And here's the thing. We are all disciples of something or someone. We often say the question isn't, am I a disciple? It's who or what am I a disciple of? Now, if you're, if you just are thrown off by this word disciple, because really only we use the word disciple in a Christian context, it would be like, what are you influenced by? Who is your teacher of life? Here's this thing, we're all being formed and shaped. It's the question of what is doing the forming and shaping. And so if some of you are like, well, Johnny, like I don't have a teacher, I am my own teacher. You have been formed and shaped to think that way. You have been formed and taught and discipled as a result of a discipleship where you say, I am my own disciple, or I am my own teacher. I let myself guide where I want to go. That is a very cultural thing that been, you've been taught, right? And then that's like, that is like our culture right now, right? It is the you do you, do whatever you want, let, let your desires be your guide. And that usually doesn't end up well. So we talk about the importance of guides. Um, now we're talking about the, this idea of a way or a road. Um, there was a Greek word that we use in the, in the, in the New Testament. It's called uh, hados. It means a path or a road or an access point to get from one place to another. But also meant just a manner of living. And so Jesus would instruct his disciples. He'd make this statement. He says, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the road broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. Again, so we, we have all these different teachers, all these different guides who are trying to get us to go to their path or their road or their way of life. Every religion, culture, school of thought presents its own way, a path to happiness, or to the divine and a manner of life to achieve that happiness or spirituality. There exists a variety of ways to live that are constantly offered to us. There are guides that are marketing to us ways to live in order to find, again, life, happiness, identity, community, purpose, and strength to live your best life. Has anybody seen, like, there's, like, Dr. Pepper commercials? You know what their whole, like, tagline is for Dr. Pepper is, you deserve this right? It's, you deserve a Dr. Pepper. I don't know, like, you know, I don't know what, and even there's like one commercial I watch, it's like, even if you take your kids and you're 20 minutes late to school, you still deserve a Dr. Pepper, right? Like, there's this essence, right? You deserve this. You deserve this. It's, it's this kind of messaging, right, of this is the way of life in order to get this kind of life. It's a manner of living, and what Jesus is teaching us in this parable is, right, if, if you have a false vision, if you have blind guides, they're going to lead you to a wrong way of living that's going to lead you to a pit, right, a mislived life, right? If you have a blind guide, again, I'm going to say this one more time, a blind guide will lead to a false vision, which is going to lead you to a wrong way of life, a manner of living that's going to lead you to a mislived life. And I think there's a couple different, before we get into the way of Jesus, right? You came to church, you know we're going to talk about Jesus, all right? I think there's two false guides and ways that can easily distract us or pull us away from the life that Jesus offers. And it's the way of the world and then the way of what I call uh, self-righteous religion. 
So let's talk about the way of the world real quick. 1 John 2, uh, verses 15 through 17 says this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possession is not from the Father, but it is from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away. But the one who does the will of God remains forever. So we're talking about the world, the love of the world. Dallas Willard defines the world as our cultural and social practices that are under the control of Satan and thus opposed to God. Again, if I alluded to this in previously, it's, it's when the vision of self is at the center. It's a kingdom of self, it's me first. This is the way of the world. And what scripture teaches is Satan, you know, is the leader he has um, that are under his control and thus opposed to God. And so uh, I found this quote um, recently where the, the, basically the, uh, I don't know what you call him, the priest of the church of Satan, uh, I guess is what you would call it, the leader. He's quoted as saying is, we don't worship Satan. He says what we do is we, we take cue of Satan and how he wanted worship of himself. He tempted Jesus to try to worship him. And so we take on uh, that idea of worship of self. And so we live in such a way where we put our kingdom, a kingdom of me, above everything else. This is our guide. This is what we put ourselves uh, uh, like on the pedestal or on the throne. But here's the problem. James 3 says, where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and every evil practice. Do you guys see that in our culture a little bit? Do you see that in our world? When you see about when everyone is, is living this kingdom of self, where it's me first, and I wanna use people in such a way that, that <clears throat> benefits me, and this is this part of the way of the world, and it says um, all the things of this world will pass away, and so the, the challenge for us is in this vision of us is are we gonna choose to let us be the guide and are we gonna let like these passions in us be where it leads us? And it has to do with our affections, right? It's, it's uh, as, as John pointed out, it's the love of the world or the things in the world. It's when we let the, the created become what we worship, not the creator. It's when we look and put into things and uh, there's this little, there's this threat, right, that these, these the affections of these things of the world will actually distract us and lead us astray. There's this little uh, thing in 2 Timothy where Paul's writing to Timothy, and he has this little line where he talks about Demas. It's his name, Demas, and he says, Demas, in love with the present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Thessalonica. It's this love of things got him completely distracted and abandoned Paul on his mission. And so we have to be aware, are we following the way of the world? Are we, are we letting the way of us be what disciples us and teaches us and then leads to the way we live? The threat is, the danger is, then we'll end in the pit. The second one is, uh, that's you have one extreme, and the other extreme is what I call the way of self-righteousness. It's a kind of religion that's rooted actually in fear and shame. 
It's this idea, we're going we're gonna, to uh, cope with all the things that the world has to offer, and, and instead of living in that, we're going to go over here, and we're just going to create a bunch of rules and all these different things to, to make sure we snuff out that kind of life. So we're going to try to put boundaries and control, and, and this essence of we're going to make ourselves worthy of God. And actually, in a sense, it's we are manipulating God, where God has to do something based on our behavior. Jesus had these... Uh, uh, harsh words to the scribes and Pharisees of his days. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you're hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to make one convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a child of hell as you are. Woe to you, here's the term, blind guides, right? You got the wrong vision, and you're producing a wrong way of life, and it's going to lead to a life that obviously was was oriented away from Jesus. And I don't know about you, uh, if you've ever come across, have you ever come across like self-righteous people? Are they like fun to be around? <laughs> they're, they're like, it's miserable, right? It's like you do specific things, right? And, and I don't know what, what my uh, experience has been is uh, they have a sense that they make themselves feel better, right, by judging you that you see this in the, in the parable where the Pharisees says, God, thank you that I'm not like that person. Thank you that I'm not like uh, you know, the, a prostitute or tax collector. Thank you that I'm not like this. It's, it's this level of in, 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 uh, superiority. I'm gonna elevate myself. I'm gonna have this self-righteousness, and I'm gonna do that by just doing all these right behaviors. And Jesus is like pretty harsh on those type of people, as you could see. It's like you, you clean the outside of your cup but your inside is filthy and gross. And that's why he calls them hypocrites, right? Hypocrites just means like an actor. You put on a face. You're so concerned about outward appearance that there's this disconnect about what you, everybody else sees versus what's inside. And I don't know about you, but if, and, and I think I've had my moments. I'm not gonna sit up here and say, you know, if you ever have these self-righteous moments. But when you, when you try to use religion as a way to cover your fear and shame, it's a pretty miserable and joyless life because everything doesn't, is not enough and everything is resulted on your behavior or performance. So as long as you do your Bible study, as long as you come to church, as long as you do these things, all right, God's happy with me. But as soon as I don't do these things, God's mad at me, he's frustrated at me, and I gotta keep up this performance. That's not the way Jesus has for us. So what does it look like to follow Jesus? Now the good news, right? We need a leader with the right vision who will take you on the right way, manner of life, that will lead you to ultimate, unregrettable life. And that, my friends, is the way of Jesus. John 14, five through seven, uh, Lord, Thomas said, Thomas is one of Jesus' disciples, he says, we don't know where you're going, how can we know the way, right? Jesus tells them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So ultimately, we see the way of Jesus is the way where Jesus is our guide with the right vision, the, the way to do life that will ultimately lead to life. It's like Jesus is the answer to all of them, right? He's the guide. He's the way. He's the life. It's all about Jesus, isn't it? Like, this is what discipleship to Jesus is. It's, it's about him and allowing Jesus to be our rabbi, our teacher, 
the person we ultimately give our whole life to, to say, Jesus, will you be the ultimate former of my life? Will you shape and mold me to become like you? And so when we get this, uh-oh, there we go. Uh, we get this idea, uh, I'm gonna talk again about vision, way, and life. So I'm gonna look at two things in the way of Jesus because actually, if you, if you read Acts, you, you will become aware that before the followers of Jesus were called followers of Jesus or Christians, they had this term that they used, they were followers of the way. They were followers of the way of Jesus. It was more than just a, a, a belief about who Jesus was, it was they lived their life in light of Jesus' way of doing life. And so with that, we get a vision for the kind of life Jesus has for us. So this morning, we're going to look at Jesus' vision of the kingdom and Jesus' vision of discipleship. Again, this is going to kind of, you know, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to press this out a little bit and even over the next year. So if you would navigate to Mark 1, uh, we're going to be in verse 14. So this is at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. This is how Jesus started his active ministry. Verse 14, it says, after John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. He says, repent and believe the good news. So at first, this idea of a discipleship to Jesus, the way of Jesus, all is rooted in the idea of a vision of the kingdom. That time, the word time, that Greek word time means it's kairos. It means this opportune time, this in-breaking that God's breaking in. This long-awaited time that the, the, that the Jews had of this future kingdom that God would one day sit on the throne, that this Messiah would come. Uh, you hear us talk a lot about this, that this Messiah would come and he would make all things right for the Jewish people. Uh, it would be to liberate the Romans. Um, there would be the resurrection of the dead. There would be a pouring out of God's spirit. This future kingdom would happen. And Jesus, and so all the, all the Jews were just waiting for this Messiah to come to usher their people into that future. But Jesus' message is a little different. His message is this vision of the kingdom is actually breaking into the present. And, and that, kind of, that kind of life, this vision of the kingdom, it's breaking in now and actually it's within grasp. You can reach out and touch it. You can experience this future vision of the God life. And, and that requires a kind of response. It means Jesus called them to repent and then believe. To repent and believe. Let's talk about repent, because some of us, you know, if, if you probably went to a Ohio State game or some, some sport event, you probably see a sign that says, you know, right, repent. And we can think of this in such a negative term. But really the word repent meant just to change your mind. Because if you change your mind, it's going to change the way you live. So Dallas Willard, in his book, The Divine Conspiracy, you know, I got a little man crush on Dallas Willard, but, um, but I want you to paint a picture of what this is like. He uses this analogy that I think will help us understand how we can get a grasp of Jesus' vision uh, for the kingdom. He says this, uh, as a child, I lived in an area of southern Missouri where electricity was available only in the form of lightning. We had more of that than we could use. But in my senior year of high school, the REA, which was the Rural Electrification Administration, extended its lines into the area where we lived. And electrical power became available to households and farms. When those lines came by our farm, a very different way of living presented itself. 
Our relationships to fundamental aspects of life, daylight and dark, hot and cold, clean and dirty, work and leisure, preparing food and preserving it, could then be vastly changed for the better. But we still had to believe in the electricity and its arrangements, understand them, and take the practical steps involved in relying on it. You may think the comparison rather crude, and in some respects it is, but it will help us to understand Jesus' basic message about the kingdom of the, of the heavens if we pause to reflect on those farmers who, in effect, heard the message, repent, for electricity is at hand. Repent or turn from your kerosene lamps and lanterns, your ice boxes and cellars, your scrub boards and rug beaters, your woman-powered sewing machines, and the radios with dry cell batteries. The power that could miss with dry cell batteries make their lives far better was right there near them by making relatively simple arrangements. They could utilize it. Strangely, a few did not accept it. They did not enter the kingdom of electricity. Some just didn't want to change. Others could not afford it, or so they thought. Isn't that a helpful analogy of what it means when the kingdom of God is at hand? It's within our grasp. It's this idea we can make arrangements in our life to where we can plug into this type of life and live this kind of life that Jesus is saying. And it's in this, in this Kairos moment where it's available to us now. And that we can arrange our lives, this way of doing life with Jesus, to where we can live that kind of life. So the next question is how? How do we live where we can access this new kind of living? Let's continue on in Mark 16. As he passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, Jesus told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in the boat, putting their nets in order. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they followed him. So what, what Jesus is saying is this future vision and this idea of the kingdom we get to experience now is going to come by discipleship to him by kind of doing life with him, just learning from Jesus. How do we live this kind of kingdom life? And the first thing Jesus told them is to follow me. Follow me. Now, it was pretty uh, common, uh, you know, for a rabbi to do this kind of thing of, of having disciples. Most prophets would, instead of saying like, um, you know, they wouldn't usually say, follow me. They would say, hey, you need to follow God. It was all about pointing people back to God. But Jesus is saying, hey, I'm gonna point you to me because I am God, right? I want you to follow me. And so there was this personal call, this personal invitation for me to be your teacher so I can mentor you. Like, we have this opportunity where we get to be mentored by Jesus, to be his apprentice, to follow him, to master what some will call the art of living. And Jesus is saying, by relationship with me, by being with me, by communion with me, you'll actually learn to live in this kingdom, to access it and to be with him. So this first rule or this first, I would say, foundational aspect of discipleship is learning to be with Jesus, right? To have intimacy with God, to do life with him. This is this, it's, it's not an informational aspect. I think in our world, like, if you want to change something about our life, what do we think we need to do? 
We've got to read something about it, right? We, gotta get just the, we just need more information. But what Jesus is saying, it's not information collection. It's about following me and being with me. And we see this next phrase, right? This next part, the second aspect of discipleship, or Jesus' vision for discipleship has to do with transformation. Jesus says what? I'll make you into fishers of men. So one, this is an aspect of, of, in this case, Peter and all the disciples is, I'm gonna transform you into a person that fishes for people. And who's doing the transformation? Jesus, right? I'll make you. I'll make you. And so we start this journey of allowing Jesus to be our ultimate former and shaper of our whole life. See, living in the way of Jesus is all about transformation. It's becoming like Jesus, following his way of doing life. Living in the way of Jesus is a wholehearted, whole life commitment to Jesus' vision for discipleship. It's a discipleship that involves obedience, transformation, and then what we'll get to, what we've talked about, is multiplication. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. So the question is, do you want Jesus to be your teacher? Do you want Jesus to be your teacher and, and, and follow his vision of kingdom life and discipleship? And it will change all aspects of us. This is a whole life thing. This ain't just changing your Sunday mornings. It's this ain't changing like, all right, you have to re- listen to like the river now or whatever and that. But I mean, this is a whole life thing that Jesus is inviting us into. I like how Robert Mulholland says it this way, the Christian journey, therefore, is an intentional and continual commitment to a lifelong process of growth toward wholeness in Christ. It's a process. Guess what? You're a process. You're a process. You're on a journey. Have you all, any of you arrived yet? Right? We haven't arrived. But we get this opportunity to follow Jesus, of being in this process where we become more like him. It's a process of growing up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, as Ephesians 4.15 says. Until we attain to mature personhood, to the measure of that stature of the fullness of Christ, it is for this purpose that God is present and active in every moment of our life. So because of this, as a church, we've put together what we call a discipleship framework. It's, it's taken these elements of, of what Jesus' vision of the kingdom and discipleship, and we put it together in hopefully some sort of graphical visual that you can see this is what it means to follow Jesus. As a follower of Jesus, it's about orientation. It's reorienting of our kingdom of self toward the kingdom of Jesus and him. So we reorient our life, our whole life, around him and the ongoing kingdom transformation. So we've defined that in these nice, pretty, um, integrated circles um, of, of what it means to follow Jesus. There's an essence of our life with God. It's being with Jesus, walking with the Spirit, intimacy with God. There's life with others. It's this, this idea of we do this with other people. We don't do this alone. There's an inner transformation that happens from the deepest core of who we are, and that leads to an outward mission of community transformation. So this is a framework we're looking at, and what I want you to understand, this is a kingdom vision, because 
If you think about heaven, how are all those things? There's wholeness, right? There's wholeness in our life with God. Like in, in, in Revelation, it says we get to be with God and we are with him. That separation we have with God that's been completely broken down or completely restored. We get to be in his presence in heaven. With life with others, right? Like there's no more drama in heaven. There's no more broken relationships in heaven. There's no Democrat and Republican fighting in heaven. If they're in Jesus, they're not gonna be hanging out and worshiping Jesus together. How beautiful, right? How beautiful the different countries and life with others, it becomes this wholeness that happens when we, when we experience this life with Jesus. Guess what, your inner transformation, guess what, when you get to heaven, right, there's a physical healing, right, we see that, that uh, we're all made new, but we're made new completely on the inside and out. We're whole in him, and then guess what, we live in this new world. The community, the systems of the world has been refined. There's no longer systems of the world as, as uh, you know, the threat in First uh, John, the way of the world, all that gets healed. And so we get to be with Jesus. And so this is how we're thinking of discipleship. And so uh, if you know me, I'm more of a strategic thinker. It's like, okay, how do we as a church lead people through this framework? And so we've come up with three core things that we are doing, and uh, you'll see that this is all part of uh, the year of 2023 and 2024. So uh, this fall is our focus on Alpha. It's a way to, uh, for people to encounter Jesus that may not come to church. It's a way to introduce them and explore their faith. But uh, then we move them, uh, we have a thing what we're calling a transform series. Uh, and so right now we have piloted with our men's group, and right now our discipleship team, which is, um, excuse me, me, Phil, Amber, and Sarah, we've been piloting these with cohorts. And so it's a 12-week long uh, discipleship tool um, where they learn about all those four things. What does it mean to have a life with God, life with others, inner transformation, and community transformation? And so we've taken mostly people who, uh, who just got baptized. You know, um, I think we've got like around 10 people who are going through this right now. And so we have this uh, framework of where we meet uh, even uh, hopefully weekly if our schedules align, where it's, we have a coach who's just, hey, uh, this week you were learning about prayer. Did you try prayer this week? How was that? And that we just have this accountability of people walking through, uh, people discipling people. Like, that's a thing, right? Like, and that we're supposed to be doing is discipling one another. So that is our goal. And so hopefully as we uh, uh, make Alpha the Fall this real big thing, in January, we'll be launching our Transform series and cohorts, and people uh, could be a part of that. And then finally, is emotionally focused. And I'm gonna talk a little bit more about that next week as we talk about inner transformation, this inside-out uh, transformation. And within all of that, uh, we have small groups, right? Because we believe discipleship happens in community. So I'm gonna end here. I don't have a, I, the only thing I, you know, sometimes we have an application. Uh, here's my application is, uh, spend time with Jesus this week. What does it look like for you to spend time or be with Jesus, with God? That may be a formal prayer life. That may be just like going on a hike with Jesus. It's just whatever it looks like for you, what would it look like every day this week? Just like, okay, Jesus, I'm gonna be intentional about spending time with you. That could be a, a regular quiet time. It could be at 11.02 praying for Alpha. It could be taking your lunch break uh, and doing that. It's just, what are you gonna do to spend time with Jesus? I'm gonna have the worship team come up before I pray. And, um, you know, I noticed this thing um, 
that's happening lately is, uh, and maybe you, you can do, like in social media or different things, I'm getting ads, you know, like sometimes you have ads and that's like, they know too much about you a little bit. And, um, and uh, so there's all this lately I've been noticing, and it's very enticing for me, because uh, there's all these little master classes that I can take. Anybody else getting those? Like, uh, you know, I'm getting a, uh, uh, you know, this one, it's really tempting, it's like, a master class, um, I like woodworking, so it's like a master class of cabinetry, you know, woodworking. Uh, you know, so I'm a, pa- I'm a pastor, so there's this master class of preaching, there's a master class of leadership, there's all these master classes that you can sign up for, and, and you know, they just, you just pay them money, and, and they're going to teach you. I love this quote from Dallas Willard, I want to challenge us with this. The really good news for humanity is that Jesus it's now taking students for the master class of life. And it's just up to us. It's been given us this invitation. Are we gonna allow Jesus to be our teacher? And I, I hate to break it to you, it's, it's gonna cost you more than $75 or $20. It's gonna take giving your whole life to him. It's gonna take, Jesus, I trust you with all my areas of my life. I give you uh, my relationships, my marriage, the, my parenting, my finances, Uh, the way I do life, my time, and say, Jesus, will you teach me how to do life? Because Jesus, you are the way. You are the truth. You are the life. And if I follow you, I'll get to a destination. I'll come to the end of my life and realize that you experienced, already you experienced the kingdom and eternity now, that you didn't have to wait till you died to experience that. And this is the truth we get to as followers of Jesus. Would you stand with me as we pray? So Jesus, we thank you that you are still taking students. And I don't know about you, but uh, sometimes there was opportunities that I wanted to further my education, but I just didn't have right the high enough test scores. I didn't have quite qualified for this type of class or program or education that I was rejected, that I didn't get in because I wasn't smart enough, good enough. And yet with you, Jesus, you take ordinary, flawed people and say, hey, will you follow me? Let me show you how to do life. Jesus, we pray we wouldn't choose the way of the world. We wouldn't choose the way of self-righteousness and use religion as a way to try to be made right with you. Jesus, we choose you. We trust you that you are the way to the good life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.